Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 442 of the podcast. It's Carrie here, and I hope our time together today helps you thrive in life and leadership. Well, today's a very special day, at least it is for me, and I hope for you. And to celebrate, we're going to mix it up today, and we're going to flip the mic. Andy Stanley is in the house, and he's going to interview me, and we're going to talk all about productivity. I'll tell you, in this conversation, I've known Andy for over 15 years. There are things I learned about Andy that I had no idea were the case. I think you're really going to enjoy this interview And we're doing it because today is the day where my brand new book, At Your Best, How to Get Time, Energy, and Priorities Working in Your Favor, releases. And so many leaders are stressed. And so that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about making you more productive. We are going to talk very specifically about how to do it. In fact, I'm going to lead with a question that one of you submitted. And we're going to talk about decision fatigue. And then Andy and I are going to get into the nitty gritty of some of the ideas in the book. And at the end of our time together today, I hope you will be more productive and have a framework around how to handle things. There was a Deloitte study released in the summer of 2021 that said fatigue is such a huge issue now with leaders. 82% of executives and CEOs say that they leave the office every day mentally and physically depleted and exhausted. 59% can't focus, 49% can't sleep. And when you look at the burnout statistics, they're just crazy. And the question is, do you have to live that way? And the answer, I hope, is no. I want you to find a sustainable pace. You deserve to stop living at an unsustainable pace. And that's what At Your Best is all about. Now, you're fortunate. If you're listening to this around the time of release, we have just a very few hours left on some bonuses that we've thrown together if you buy the book. So if you order it today, uh, you'll get it delivered. Amazon will deliver it next day, which is incredible. Or you can start listening today to the audiobook or start reading the Kindle But we will also throw in a masterclass. This masterclass is a video companion to the book. It's got a study guide with it, like a team application guide. You can walk yourself through it. You can walk people through it. Uh, Next week, that is actually going to cost you money. But today, it's free if you pre-order the book. You can find everything over at atyourbesttoday.com. And the reason that I wrote the book is so many people are overwhelmed, overworked, and overcommitted. And it's just a false script. You don't have to live that way. Slammed is the new normal. Distractions are everywhere. And life gets reduced for a lot of people to living through the motions. But I just want to say this amount of stress is not okay. And a lot of you as leaders are living at a very unsustainable pace. And I did that when I was in my 30s. It led me to burnout. I did not declare a finish line, so my body did. And for the last 15 years, I've recovered. And this book is all about preventing burnout, recovering from burnout, and figuring out how to live in a way today that will help you thrive tomorrow. So if that sounds interesting to you, I would love for you to check out the brand new book. It's been endorsed by Adam Grant, Seth Godin, Patrick Lencioni, Annie F. Downs, Craig Rochelle, Andy Stanley himself endorsed it. Uh, Who else? Near AL and so many others. Cal Newport, who we've had on the podcast, Dan Pink. Uh, Nona Jones, thank you. I mean, so many wonderful endorsements. Greg McEwen, who we've had on the podcast as well, 
have all had a look at the book and were kind enough to give their endorsements. And I would love to get a copy in your hand. Now, if you want to take advantage of the bonuses, you should go to atyourbesttoday.com and register now before it's too late. We'll put some wonderful free stuff into your hands. Otherwise, the book is available anywhere books are sold. So with that in mind, we're going to jump into the conversation with Andy Stanley in just a minute, but I am going to do the Ask Me Anything About Productivity segment early because uh, we got a question here. Glenn asks a question that I think almost every leader struggles with, and sometimes I struggle with it as well. And so I want to give you some strategies that I hope will help. Here is Glenn's question. Hey, Carrie. Often I find myself dealing with a ton of decisions that I call minutiae decisions. They're not eternal at all. And it saps energy. And I find often that I have got decision fatigue after these tons of small decisions about buildings and just things that are not all that huge in importance, but they have to be done. Glenn, you're describing something that all of us struggle with and it makes you very, very human. Yeah. I mean, decision fatigue is huge. And I want to give you some very specific strategies that have helped me deal with decision fatigue. But first, let's describe the problem. It is a real issue. And I find that my life, and I have a lot of decisions to make as well, like uh, almost all of you listening to this podcast, I feel a little bit like the battery in my phone that I wake up with 100% and by the end of the day, it just kind of drains. And if I'm not careful, by four o'clock, I can be, you know, 20% power left. That's about it. I always tell my team, I got three brain cells left. What am I going to do with them at the end of the day? And there's not a whole lot you can do to get out of that slow drain that you talk about. Now, listen, there are solutions, okay? But that is, that is just a normal course for most human beings. And as much as we wish, that we had 24 equal hours in a day where we were ready to go. It doesn't happen. We weren't designed that way. So you are going to deal with this. Now, how do you minimize it? Well, I want to give you three strategies. So first is, and this is what At Your Best will walk you through, is you got to figure out when are you at your best. For most leaders, you're at your best for three to five hours in a day. Cal Newport sets a number at four. Sometimes it can swing as low as three or as high as five, but all of us have kind of a peak zone. I call it your green zone. For some of us, it's in the morning. I think for a lot of leaders, we're morning people. My peak hours are from 7 a.m. to 11 a.m. And then I get a little burst after lunch on a good day. Some days I don't always get that. Uh, for some of you, afternoon may be your peak hours where your energy is uh, fresh and strong, where your mind is clear, there's no brain fog. For others, it's night owls. Never understood that. But for some of you, your night owls, regardless of where it is, here's what you should do. You should figure out your green zone, the time when you are really at your best, and try to make as few decisions as possible during your green zone. So what that looks like, Glenn, I don't know whether you're a morning person, but let's just say for argument's sake, you are. You want to do what you are best at, what most moves the needle in your organization. You want to do that during your green zone. And so for me, and let's assume for you, it's the morning. What I try to do is eliminate a lot of decisions before that. So I eat the same breakfast every morning. I have the same routine. I'm not waking up thinking about, oh, what am I going to do with the first hour of my day? What am I going to do? I really try to automate that. Even my clothes, If I particularly if I have a speaking engagement, I will pick those out the night before so that I'm not sitting there trying to figure out what I'm going to wear. Now, you might say, well, that sounds really like petty. But if you think about it, Mark Zuckerberg, Steve Jobs, very well known for wearing the same clothes every day. Why is that? Because they couldn't afford more clothes? No, because it was one less decision they had to make. So you want to automate your decision making early in the morning. 
Then you want to attack your peak hours and you want now. You may have a really big decision to make. That is an excellent use of your green zone. But a lot of things, is, as you've indicated in your answer, is minutia. It's like stuff that really doesn't matter. And then by the time you get to your really big things, if you make all those little decisions in your green zone, uh, you're going to be too tired to really write a good chapter to a book, to write a message for the weekend, to solve a problem that really is going to take your full focus. So try to make uh, very few decisions heading into your green zone. Uh, if you're a morning person, that makes it easy because you can do that in the morning. Uh, and then uh, the day at, in, at your best is divided into green, yellow, red. You'll see that in the cover. And uh, your red zone is when you're exhausted. Try not to make too many decisions, particularly, uh, you know, important ones in that zone because you'll make bad decisions. For me, that's four to six in the afternoon. Reserve your decision making for your yellow zone. Those are the hours when you are not at your best and you're not at your worst. That's a really good use because you don't really need full brain power to make a lot of decisions. Now, I want to give you another hack that has been exponentially helpful for me. And that is to defer as many decisions to an in-person or Zoom, if you're leading a remote team, Zoom meeting with your direct reports. Because what most workdays look like is you open up your inbox and there's a you know vast majority of people start their day in their inbox, which can be a big mistake. You see 17 unread emails, you got to respond to those, you're responding to them. And of course, sending emails generates more emails. Then you look at Slack and there's more questions there. And a lot of them are not time sensitive. It's just what happens is someone says, oh, I got to ask Glenn about this. And so they text, they email, they Slack you, whatever. And then you start looking at that. Electronic correspondence is always sent at the convenience of the sender, not the recipient. So what I've trained my team to do, what we've learned to do as a staff, is any issue that can wait to our weekly one-on-one -on -one meetings, we wait and we call it the list. We build our list in Asana. And so when I meet with my uh, chief marketing officer, with my financial officer, when I meet with my EA, when I meet with my podcast manager, I bring a list to that meeting. They bring lists to the meeting. And it didn't have to be solved on Tuesday. We're now meeting on Thursday when we do that. So they just held it. And then we sit down and what you'll discover is you get a lot of back and forth that would have taken 17 emails done in three minutes. It's like, okay, so these people want you to speak, you know, in November at this place. Okay, tell me more about the people. Tell me more about this. Okay, okay, good. Here's the decision. Boom. Now you did that in one minute. That could have literally been 15 emails or, or a whole bunch of Slack messages back and forth. If you can do that with the majority of non-time sensitive issues, that really deals with your decision fatigue. And then the decisions you have to make in the course of a day, if you can't defer them until your next meeting, then make those in your yellow zone. So a couple of things. Number one, protect your green zone. Only make really critical decisions when you're at your best and do your best work when you're at your best. Second, uh, automate a lot of decisions heading into that zone so you're not already draining your battery before you get there. Uh, third, make the decisions that have to be made that day in your yellow zone when you're not at your best, not at your worst. And then finally, defer as many as possible to an in-person or Zoom meeting where you can have a dialogue and do like 10 questions back and forth in a minute or two. And then you've saved yourself endless amounts of email or Slack messages, etc. So I hope that helps, Glenn. And if strategies like that are helpful to you, and we have some big ones that we share in At Your Best, Today's a day where we can finally put that book in your hands. And if you order today, you will get the masterclass for free. That is not going to last for very long at all. It'll be gone by the end of the week. 
Would love for you to head on over to At Your Best today and claim that bonus, a lot of other bonuses. And uh, I want to help you get time, energy, and priorities working for you, get you out of the stress spiral. And hey, normally we do this segment at the end of the show, but I thought because it's book launch day, let's do it at the beginning. And now uh, we can get to today's interview. And it was such an honor to have Andy flip the mic and have the conversation with me. Uh, Some of you who listen to his podcast, and if you don't, you really should, will recognize this. Uh, He had me on for a couple of episodes. And so we put that all together and we're bringing it to our listeners today. I know a lot of you know Andy Stanley. He is one of the finest leaders today. He is a communicator, author, and founding pastor of the Atlanta-based North Point Ministries. Today, NPM consists of seven churches in the Atlanta area and a network of nearly 100 churches around the globe that collectively serve nearly 185,000 people every week. A survey of U.S. pastors in Outreach Magazine identified Andy as one of the 10 most influential living pastors in America. He has authored more than 20 books, including Irresistible, The New Rules for Love, Sex, and Dating, How to Be Rich, Deep and Wide, Enemies of the Heart. Actually, my favorite book is that one. Andy knows that. <laughs> when Work and Family Collide, Visioneering and Next Generation Leaders. Such a great book. If you've got young leaders on your team, read it when it first came out. His success reaches well beyond Atlanta. His messages, leadership videos, YouTube videos, and monthly podcast have over 10.5 million downloads each month. And we're so grateful to have Andy interview me for my book. And if you haven't checked out the Andy Stanley Leadership Podcast, you can find it anywhere you listen to podcasts. And of course, everything Andy is at andystanley.com. With that in mind, Andy, over to you. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Andy Stanley Leadership Podcast, a conversation designed to help leaders go further, faster. I'm Andy Stanley, and I'm so excited about this month because I have my good friend, Carrie Newhoff, in the studio with me. Welcome, Carrie. Hey, it's such a joy to be with you, Andy. Thanks for having me. Yeah, well, usually, uh, well, you've interviewed me a couple of times about things, and so we're kind of going back and forth. Um, today, this is, I'm so excited about this because it's super relevant, well, to every leader, but I think, Carrie, and you would agree in different seasons of life, what we're going to talk about today becomes even more relevant because we're going to talk about how to improve productivity by working when we are at our best. And as you know, every person on the other end of this podcast can tell us immediately or could, you know, they know immediately when they are at their best. But unfortunately, organizational life is not always in sync with our personal best. So this is going to be a super helpful conversation. And specifically, we're going to talk about finding our thrive cycle. And I'll let you talk about that in just a minute. For those of you who don't know Kerry, uh, you've been missing out. Um, He's a best-selling leadership author, speaker, podcaster, a former attorney, which sounds like a book. I was a former, I was an attorney in my former life. Maybe I should write a book, Andy. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, He hosts actually one of today's most influential leadership podcasts, the Kerry Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Podcast. Um, his podcast, blog, his online content are accessed, gosh, over a million, like a million and a half times every month. So Kerry's a big deal, and he's a big deal because he has a lot to say and a lot of important things to say specifically to leaders. And a few years ago, he made a bold move and decided to pull out of some other things he was doing to focus on pouring into leaders, which makes us all better. And he speaks to leaders literally all around the world about leadership, change, personal growth. And his newest book is entitled At Your Best how to get time, energy, and priorities working in your favor. So today we're going to talk a lot about that. And Carrie, I don't know what you want to talk about first, but I would like to talk about something that you talk about in the book that intersects with all of our lives. Um, and you call it the stress 
spiral. So I don't know if this is a great launching point, but I think it's a great launching point because it is certainly relevant. What is the stress spiral? Um, what does it do to us? And then we'll talk about what to do about it. Yeah, the stress spiral is something, unfortunately, I think a lot of us are um, familiar with, and it's probably so familiar, Andy, we don't even realize we're in it. And I define it this way. I tried to put a label on like how I was feeling when I'm not at my best. And there's basically, um, you're overwhelmed. I got way too much to do. I don't have time to do it. You're overcommitted. I said yes too many times to too many people. And I'm looking back on that now thinking, what was I thinking? And this is about life too. It's like at work, I said yes too often, but we got little league on Tuesday nights and dance on Wednesday and, you know, church on Sunday. And we got this happening on Monday night. We just overcommitted and then overworked. It's like, you know, you used to go to the office, but now the office goes to you. I mean, there was a time, Andy, and you remember this, and I remember this because of, you know, the stage of life we're at, but it was hard to do work at home. I mean, I guess you could always write a sermon or you could always write a talk or something like that. But, you know, you got a device now. I've got a device now for the last decade plus that follows me everywhere I go. And we haven't figured out the boundaries to that. So almost everybody I talk to is busy, overwhelmed, tired, fatigued. And that combination of overwhelmed, overworked, and overcommitted is what I call the the stress spiral. And then when you deal with leaders, it gets worse because we're all a little bit ambitious or we have dreams and desires. And what you hope for is more responsibility. And as your responsibility increases, you don't get more time. So now you've got to squeeze in like you thought you were busy in college, right? What? There's no more. You don't get more time with more responsibility. It doesn't come with, oh, and by the way, here's some more time to go with all that new responsibility. Unfortunately, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> and we say yes anyway, right? Yeah. So, you know. Yeah. And then somebody says, here's some more responsibility without any more time and oftentimes no more pay. And we're like, yes, yes, yes. Because, you know, leaders love progress. It's very difficult for us to say no to something that even looks a little bit like an opportunity. So, yeah. So the stress spiral. That's the stress spiral. Yeah. And everybody knows exactly what you're talking about. So in the book and what we're going to talk about for most of our time today is what you contrast it with, which is the thrive cycle. So the stress spiral, we all know what that's like, the thrive cycle. Before you before you define that, though, um, when you think about the stress spiral, when I was reading about what you said about that, I immediately thought about my personal response to stress. Hmm. And it's not the same for everybody, right? It's not the same for everybody. So we both have pastoral backgrounds. And so much of our conversations with people, especially leaders, business leaders, oftentimes they get in trouble because of where they go with their or in their stress spiral because they don't just go to, I'm going to get it done, I'm going to get it done. When it's overwhelming, we go to unhealthy places. Is that has that been your experience, not personally or maybe personally? No, I'll tell you what I do. What do you do? Because I learned about this in the pandemic. I learned it from a mutual, well, two mutual friends, Henry Cloud and Ian Morgan Cron. You know them both well. And I had conversations with them and we were trying to unpack how everybody reacted to COVID. And I'm an eight, I'm an Enneagram eight. So what I did was I worked more and I tried to get control over, you know, a world that was spiraling out of control and an economy that was spiraling out of control. And I ended up, I remember telling Henry Cloud one day, I said, you know, what I did is I reorganized my bookshelf and I made sure everything was color coded. And he said, well, that was super healthy. But I also realized, okay, I have to declare a finish line at some point because I'm just going to commandeer this thing until I'm, and, and it's like work is good, but overworking is not good. So I kind of pushed myself back into the stress spiral. 
Uh, and, and I think that's what I do because I'm a control freak. Eight is control, if you follow the Enneagram. So I will try to control things and I will try to work until the problem is fixed. You know what else I learned about eights recently that helped me? And this is weird talking to you about this and it's not even the topic, but in, in Ian's book, because I work with a lot of eights, like a lot. <laughs> and I like eights because, you know, you guys get stuff done. I don't. I'm a one. I just want to make things better, even if it means making them smaller. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> I learned that eights, when they're confronting you and they're kind of in their eight mode and they're arguing and pushing hard, that for them, that's intimacy. So it's so helpful because when the yes. eights get in my face, I'm thinking, oh, this we're having intimacy, which is odd. I'd love to know where you go in your stress, Andy, because, I mean, having followed your leadership for decades now, you tend to think, oh, Andy doesn't get stressed, but you probably do. Where, where does your stress go? So where I go, and this is, this is a confession. I, I, don't, I don't know that I've ever told anyone this, but I tell myself I can just quit. Huh? I don't have to do any of this stuff. I mean, here comes Sunday. I can just say, I'm not coming. Hey, I've got this project due or this manuscript due. Hey, I can just call them and say, sorry, you're not going to get it. In my mind, the escape hatch is nobody can make me do any of this stuff, and I can just quit. And when I realize, wait a minute, I'm kind of doing this to myself. There is nobody making me do any of this stuff. It's like, huh, well, I'm just going to do what I can do. And if they don't like it, I'll just quit. Now, I've never quit anything. I don't think I've quit anything since I dropped two classes in college and I felt like such a loser. I've never quit anything. But but again, the point is we all have some sort of mental game we play and sometimes the escape from stress is healthy. Sometimes it's not healthy. But to the point of your book, um, there is a better way. The thrive cycle. What is the thrive cycle? Well, first of all, can I just say thank you? Thanks for being so honest. That was so helpful to hear. And I've thought about quitting too. And you raised something about the stress spiral I want to touch on and then talk about the thrive cycle. We didn't get into it in, in the first answer, but one of the symptoms that you are in the stress spiral is you're constantly thinking of an escape. You always want to build a life that you want to escape from. So when I was burned out 15 years ago, my fantasy was I wanted to go stack boxes in a warehouse. Because you know, leadership's hard. <laughs> and people don't do what you tell them to do, and organizations don't respond to cause and effect. So I'm like, if I go stack boxes at a warehouse, the pile is over here in the morning, in the afternoon, the pile's over there. That's why I like mowing my lawn, right? But you get into these escapist things. For some people, it could be, I'm just going to go live on the beach, or I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go make lattes all day at a coffee shop. And that is not healthy, because then you're trying to escape stress, but you're, you're just going to bring your stress with us, which gets us to the thrive cycle. So the stress spiral, overwhelmed, overcommitted, overworked, happens when your time is unfocused, your energy, your energy level, we'll talk about that, is unleveraged, and your priorities keep getting hijacked by other people. And the thrive cycle is kind of the opposite. So I came, I stumbled on the thrive cycle. It was completely, it was intentional, but accidental. I had an intense period of burnout back in 2006, where I kind of thought it was over. I you know, had lost all my passion. I was still going to work every day, getting up out of bed, but like it was, it was game over. My body kind of declared a finish line and said, you were running too hard. And uh, it was terrifying. And anybody who's been through burnout can identify with how scary it is. And so I tried to figure out, Andy, okay, I can't, if that's normal, I wanted to get back to normal, but I'm like, normal got me like hit by a truck. So how do I get to the point where I can live better? 
And I started to experiment with some really good therapy, some great coaching, leadership coaching, um, actually partly provided through North Point, through some of the coaching you guys were doing at the time. Over a few years, I, I sort of discovered, okay, I'm only at my best about three to five hours a day. And that is, and subsequent research has confirmed that. So very short window where you're really at your best. And we can define that in a minute if you want. And what the Thrive Cycle does is it teaches you to do what you're best at when you're at your best. And you start to focus your time on those pivotal hours when you're really, you're, you're sharp, you're clear, you're bright, you're thinking, you're in the flow, you're working. For some people, that's in the morning. For some, it's the afternoon. For some, it's in the evening. And this works really well with knowledge workers where we have a little bit of control over our calendar and when we do our work and when we answer email and that kind of thing. And then um, you, you leverage your energy. So that's focusing your time on those hours. Then you leverage your energy. And instead of fighting it, you know, we've all been at those 3.30, 4 o'clock meetings where you pretty much need a constant drip of caffeine to stay awake. Um, so you start programming your life around that. You try not to do your most important work. So you're leveraging your energy. You're cooperating with it, not competing with it. And then you're realizing your priorities by learning the strategies to have other people not hijack them. And again, like I said, with our phones, I mean, you're being hijacked every 30 seconds in some cases as your phone dings and vibrates and chirps and rings and notifications come in. So the Thrive Cycle, basically, if, if I wanted to boil it down, it's doing what you're best at when you're at your best. And this is, this is the line. Learn how to live in a way today that will help you thrive tomorrow. And if you really look what's under the stress spiral, people are living in a way today, like as they're listening to this, that's going to make them struggle tomorrow. That's going to make tomorrow harder. You're going to work too many hours. You're going to say yes to too many things. So the Thrive Cycle is built around, I'm going to focus my time going to leverage my energy, going to realize my priorities, and I'm going to live in a way today that will help me thrive tomorrow. And I break that down into five categories. So as a person of faith, spiritually, like what do I need to do to make sure that I'm good in the spiritual compartment? Emotionally, I spent my 30s pretty much ignoring my emotions, which led to my burnout. Like emotionally, am I healthy? I'm married, my wife and I good, my kids and I, my team and I, my friendships good. Relationally, how am I doing relationally? A lot of leaders in our giving position, we just give, give, give all day long, but we don't receive well. So there's um, relationally and then financially and physically, physical fitness, and then, you know, having margin. It's not about how much you make, it's what you do with what you make. And if you've got margin in those five categories, then you're living in a way today that will help you thrive tomorrow. Yeah, so here's, not pushback, but here's like, hey, that's great. Thank you. But then I have to, you know, have my life. So because all those things you just said, no one, I don't think anybody would argue that they're important. But the assumption is somehow you are guarding those things or they don't happen. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, I'm just back in the stress cycle and I'm doing what's urgent as yeah. opposed to what's important. I never sharpen the saw, Do you know, use Stephen Covey's analogy. So I don't know if you want to talk about this part or not, because there's so many other things I want to get to. But guarding those things, I mean, it's one thing to decide it. Like I said, nobody's going to argue with, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But that means saying no. Mm -hmm. It means taking on less. So what did you do? To, I mean, you, you realize, hey, I got to get out of this thing and I've, I've got to find my thrive cycle. But practically, what, what did you do? And then we'll get to some more of the stuff in the book. So very practically, uh, yeah, this is all in the book, but very practically to answer your question directly, what I started to do was guard my green zone. So let's go through the zones really quickly. Green zone, those three, four, five hours a day 
where you really are sharp. You're, if, if you're a writer, your ideas are flowing. If you're a manager, your meetings are great. If you're uh, into strategy, like, man, your best ideas are flowing. If you're into spreadsheets, like you're actually doing some beautiful pivot tables and it's pretty people, amazing. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. you're, you're, you're in the flow, right? So you're three to five hours a day, block that out and then take your most important work to reference Covey, not what is urgent, but what is important. Occasionally you're going to have something that really is like five alarm fire. You got to deal with it. But most days that's not the case. It's just your inbound determines your workflow. This is where you decide, no, this is really important. And uh, I've got a I've got a, a scheme in the book to help you figure this out. But the thumbnail version is simply, what is the highest value activity that you bring to your current role? So what what is most important? When I was a pastor, when I was a lawyer, it's like preparing for court. I got a court you know court tomorrow morning at ten a.m. The judge isn't going to wait. Like, do I know the facts of the case? So I got to prepare for that. And a lot of lawyers, attorneys, are notorious for like winging it. They're reading the file in the cab ride over to the courthouse and, uh, and, and they're missing it. And so I got to prep when I was a preacher, you know, this Andy, it's that Sunday morning message. If you don't mm-hmm. get that right. Right. And if you don't get it done when you're at your best, it's not going to be great. And then because you're gifted at it, here's what we do, because we all have an area of gifting, whether that's communication or spreadsheet. Andy, I know you well enough to know if you had to give a talk at a, a national leadership conference you could literally write it on the plane ride over or Thursday night at six o'clock and deliver it Friday morning at 9 a.m. And you know what? It would be good. It would probably be great. But I call that cheating your gift because you're cheating your gift, but you're never developing. You're not sharpening your saw. So if you want to be a better communicator, if you want to be a better leader, take those three to five hours, protect them at all costs and do your best work. So that's the key. Now, what that does, that's like a, a lever that just kind of pushes everything else in your life. Because as you know, you know, if that strategic retreat is all planned and ready to go and your talk's finished and your message is done, you could go home at 11 o'clock and you're like, I think I accomplished everything I set out today. Now, the reason you don't go home at 11 o'clock, you got other stuff to do. You get paid for more than three or four hours a day, but your big rocks are moving. Yeah, but you've addressed the pressure point. You've addressed the pressure point. And for me, that's it. If I can address the pressure point. Because you're sitting in that yeah, meeting. Everything else is easy. It is easy. But if that's hanging over me all day, I'm distracted by everything and I'm not working in my green zone, to your point. For most leaders, don't we find our green zone is in the morning? Not not everybody, but that's what I, I hear more often than not. I hear it anecdotally as in the morning and I become a morning person, particularly since we had kids. Uh, Daniel Pink's research on that shows it's a little more divided than I would have thought. I found out from my team, I should have known this. I wrote the book and everything. It was at the publisher. I found out half my team is afternoon people. Now I have a pretty young staff. So some of them are pre-kids, but they really love the afternoon. And then you have the odd night owl. But the fun part about the dangerous part of knowledge work is you can start working at 6 a.m. if you want to, and you can keep going till 11 o'clock. But the fun part, if it's healthy, is, yeah, you can start at 6 a.m. And I'm like, 7 to 11 a.m., that's the peak of my green zone. Wow. That's when I'm going to produce the best content. Are you morning, Andy? Definitely. More than anything? Yeah, or? yeah. So, yeah. but again, yeah. I'm I'm sitting in front of a laptop creating content. So, I've got to be by myself. Mm-hmm. And I protect, as you know, we've talked about this, I protect, and my assistant helps me protect that time. I just have to have it, or I'm in a I'm in a bad mood and I'm, you know, because it's stress, you know, here comes Sunday or here comes the event. So, so that's the green zone. Talk a little bit about red and yellow. 
So red zone's easy because it's the opposite of green zone. That is when you've got toothpicks in your eyelids to stay awake for the meeting. That's when you're falling asleep at your desk when you're like, how do I get out of here? And again, if you're in burnout, you're going to feel like that all the time. But all of us have one or two hours. You know, you're watching the movie at night. If you're married with your spouse or with your girlfriend, your partner, whatever, and you're falling asleep during the movie. Okay. That's probably your red zone. You either need to take a nap mm-hmm. or you need to uh, go for a run or, or something like that. So, or choose again, a different that's a, movie yeah, too. There's always that. Get a different movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, you know, Andy, it's one of those things where I used to push through those, but you're not going to, and sometimes you have to, but it's like pick your lowest task. To reply to a little bit of email during your red zone, there's not a whole lot at stake. You just got to get your inbox clear. Just get it clear or fill out that expense report or whatever you need to do that isn't high task. And your yellow zone is everything in between. You're not at your best. You're not at your worst. That's when I do a lot of my meetings. You're actually pretty good. You can do meetings well. Uh, I do a lot of my podcast interviews in my yellow zone rather than my green zone. I do the prep in the green zone, but I do the execution in the yellow zone because you're you're like 80, 90% there. And that's that's good enough. But again, you've got to devise this according to whatever responsibilities you're tasked with in your organization and figure it out. But all of us can pretty much intuitively go, oh, that's green zone. That's green zone relationship, green zone work, green zone writing, green zone strategy. Yeah, that's definitely red zone. And then everything else is sort of in between. And then giving ourselves permission to schedule in that direction, because my biggest challenge with this concept early on is I felt like, no, I'm the leader. That means I need to bend to everyone else's um, schedule and where their energy is, because I'm the leader. I want to go first. I want to serve. And that's true. But I was not a very good leader Hmm. because um, I think it was Bill Hybels, first person I ever heard say this, that the best thing you can bring to your team is your energy. Yes. Well, to the point of this discussion, we know when we are most prepared or best set up to bring our energy to our team. And if I'm in my green zone and I'm meeting with the team and they're more in yellow to red, it is still better to be in a meeting with me when I'm able to bring my best energy than to show up when they're at their best and I'm not at my best. So again, these are these are kind of a permission giving there's some permission giving involved with this. Would you agree? A hundred percent. And I think, you know, if you're carrying the weight in that meeting, you should be at least green or yellow. I'll give you a really quick <laughs> anecdote, Andy. You, you probably don't know this. Uh, there's no reason you would, but I went to one of your campuses a few years ago when I was developing this material and I taught it before I, I wrote the book. And um, when we went there, we kind of did an implementation. It's a large location. You lead a very large organization. They probably had four to 6,000 attending on the weekends at the time. And they had a staff of maybe 80. And, you know, their leadership team went back and discovered that the reason they all didn't like their leadership team meeting is everyone was in their yellow or red zone, but they didn't know that. And so all they did was they moved it on the calendar to, I don't know, 11 a.m. or noon or two or pick pick a time. And suddenly the meeting had energy. Everybody enjoyed it. They did a lot better. And it's not a question of Friday at four o'clock, we're going to have a leadership team meeting because no one likes that meeting. This is like, you know, Monday to Friday workday. It's adjustments like that. And then the other thing you can do, and, and I think you hinted at this, is this is an important takeaway for all the leaders, is you need to do a push-pull with your organization to try to figure out, okay, yeah, if you're the principal, if you're the founder, the CEO, the senior pastor, whatever you are, yeah, your green zone matters. But then if you want to get the best out of your small groups person, your marketing person, your sales director, you've got to make sure that they are optimizing their green zone as well. So it's a little bit of fluidity that you have to work through. And the heart of it, to your to your earlier question, is 
how do you make sure this happens? I have a calendar called the Thrive Calendar. We're making it available for everyone. We can give the link if that's helpful. But you can actually calendar these priorities in so your entire team knows, oh, Andy is not available you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday morning from 7 a.m. to 11 a.m. Your team knows you're kind of all the notifications are off on your phone. You're doing your important work or it could be Tuesday from two to four. You're not available, but you begin to function as an organization this way. And here's what happens. You get more done in less time. People work fewer hours. Priorities get realized. You're not letting the world dictate what happens. Yeah. And um, suddenly you're making progress. Kerry, we've said this, I'm sure you've said it. I know I've said it. And we hear it all the time. I just need a vacation. I just need a vacation. And it doesn't help. I mean, I love vacation. But a a vacation, you know, there's not like a battery that I can charge on my vacation. Then when I get back, I've got all this extra energy because I went on a vacation. And vacations are very important. But they do not address what we're talking about, I don't think. So what's the relationship between I need a vacation and prioritizing what you do and when you do it? What's the connection? It's such a good insight, Andy, because it it mischaracterizes the problem. See, the problem is not how we spend our time off. Yeah, okay, if you're cheating and doing email during your vacation, shame on you, don't do that, okay? But we've all taken real breaks sometimes two weeks, three weeks, a month, and we're like, okay, we're back, right? And then first Monday back at 11 a.m., you get punched in the face by life and you're exhausted and you want another vacation. What is that? Here's, Here's the challenge. The challenge, you know, time off will not heal you when the problem is how you spend your time on. Say that again. Time off is... Won't heal you when the problem is how you spend your time on. Wait, Carrie, that's that's amazing. Time off won't heal you when the problem is how you spend time on. That that may have been worth listening to this entire podcast for that one statement. That's amazing. Time off won't heal you when the problem is how you spend time on. Yeah, and that's our problem, right? Because you can take six weeks off. Like to, and that's why you and I have talked about this before offline. You know, I don't think you've done a sabbatical. I haven't done a full sabbatical. And I always thought in the back of my mind, sabbaticals don't work. And when I was researching and writing the book, finally the penny dropped. Most of the people we know take a sabbatical because they're burned out and exhausted. They go on some retreat, they take three months off, six months off, you know, and then they're like, oh, I'm all better. I'm all healed. And then they come back and bam, they get punched in the face. And then they're gone. They quit their job. They switch careers. They, they do something six months to a year later because they can't take it because what they addressed, maybe they took care of their soul or their life or their relationships or their money or whatever it was, but they didn't take care of their schedule. And life is a meat grinder unless you take control of it. So, you know, if you have an unsustainable pace, a vacation is not an answer for an unsustainable pace. <laughs> feels like an interruption. <laughs> you know, a sustainable pace is the yeah. answer. Yeah. But we tell ourselves it's just a busy season. It's just a busy season. <laughs> right. You know right? what? Do you know where I first heard that? Was from my dad. Really? My dad, his his go his default was, you know what, this is just there there's just a this is really busy season right now. And he was a great dad. We had vacations and all that, but that was his that was his default. It was this is just a busy season. And I heard it so much I would push back on it and say, Dad. It's always a busy season. You know, the end of a busy season, there's no solution. And he would just laugh because he realized, oh, yeah, I say that a lot, don't I? I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't ever remember you saying, oh, guess what? I've gotten to the end of that busy season. You know, now it's not going to end for, for productive people who love what they do and are, you know, infatuated with progress. Well, 
Yeah, I'm giving you the long answer here, but we're getting into territory we didn't cover. And here's here's the challenge. I used to say that too. I used to be like your dad and my friends started to call me on it. And then it dawned on me, seasons have beginnings and endings. And if your season, busy season has no ending, it's not a busy season, it's your life. Hmm. That leads us to the thrive cycle, which is the opposite of the stress spiral. So stress spiral, overwhelmed, overcommitted, overworked. Thrive cycle, um, you focus your time, you leverage your energy, and you start to realize your priorities. All those things you wanted to get done. One day I'm going to write a book. One day I'm going to launch a podcast. One day I'm going to sit down with the sales department. We're going to solve that problem. One day I'm going to get to that campus, that location. We're going to fix that thing. And you never get it done. One day I'm going to have a weed-free garden, somebody told me once, right? All those things that you're like, one day. And so you're leveraging your energy. The summary of that is you live in a way today that will help you thrive tomorrow. Live in a way today that will help you thrive tomorrow. And you do that mainly by learning how to do what you're best at when you're at your best. So if you think about your day, and we touched on this last time, green, yellow, red zone, Uh, Green zone, those three to five hours where you're at your best, you're at your peak, you're thinking clearly. And usually for most people, that happens at the same time every day. For morning people, it happens in the morning. Night owls, it happens in the evening. A lot of people are afternoon people. Um, Red zone is those one or two hours where you're just tired, trying to stay awake. And yellow zone is everything in between. So the key is to take your most important activities, do them in your green zone. And as we talked about last time, you get that done. You get the weekend message done. I, I get the book written. And like, whew, that chapter is in and I can relax. Now I can go into my meeting. So do that stuff in your green zone. After our recording last month, um, you may remember this, Susie Gray, our producer, the two of you began talking and she said that you actually presented this content to her team. And after the content was presented and they began to discuss, (laughs) they realized that they were having their most important meetings during the time when most people on her team were in their red zone. So they just hadn't thought about it. They just looked at the schedule, the rhythm of the organization. We've always done it this way. We've always met at this time. And when they went around and talked about their green, yellow, and red zone, she thought to herself, well, gee, all I need to do is just shift the time of the meeting. And, you know, the results were noticeable because there's a time when we're all at our best. And as a team leader, to know that about, especially my direct reports, that's very important. So there are ripple effects to this. It's not just the individual getting more accomplished, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah. And you know, it, it made me think when Susie talked about that, and I've had other people share that feedback to CEOs, leaders, uh, it could be when you're in that one meeting with that one person, you, you know, and you walk out of the meeting and go, oh, we got to get rid of Justin, you know, he's such a deadbeat. He just never, he's so grumpy, such a deadbeat, never contributes anything. Well, what if that's, you just caught him in his red zone week after week after week, and that's not fair. So, I mean, it's good to work through this material, discuss it with your team, and you're going to enjoy your meetings a lot more. The other thing you'll discover is, Andy, they'll be shorter or longer necessarily, right? But there's that meeting where everybody's just like, oh my gosh, it's like, could this, could this just end? And if everyone's energized, you'll either get out of there faster or you'll have a dynamic 90-minute meeting that will accomplish a lot more. Well, while we're on that, um, it's easier for CEOs and senior leaders, obviously, to control their time or sole proprietors or people with super small companies where they don't have to be sensitive to so many people. You know, and I'm in that situation. I have control over the calendar. I, I call most of the meetings, right? So what advice do you have 
for people who don't have control over their calendars, um, like most senior leaders do, because they're listening to this going, I know exactly what you're talking about. And if, if, <laughs> if the day could begin at 1 p.m., I would be so much more productive, but they want me to be there at 8 a.m. So, you know, very few of us have that much autonomy or control. So what's your advice to them? Is this, is it hopeless? Is this pointless or what can they do? Yeah, it's a very real concern. So the book's brand new. It's just releasing this month, but I've been working on this material for years now and had a chance to talk to thousands of leaders about it. And that is a number one objection. It's like, Carrie, You were an attorney, the lead pastor. Now you run your own company. Like you you have control, you have autonomy, which is totally true. And here's what I would say. Start here. Focus on what you can control, not on what you can't. So let's break down a work week. We all get 168 hours in a week. A work week is 40-ish hours. Could be 35 on the low side, 55 on the high side. But let's just say for argument's sake, You have a 40-hour work week. And I've surveyed literally hundreds, probably thousands of leaders in different events I've done. And I've asked them this question. I'm like, okay, so if you're 40-hour work week, how much of that is determined by your boss? Like command performance meetings. We always do leadership team Tuesday at 11 a.m. I have to be at the sales meeting at three or this location meeting, you know, Fridays at four o'clock. I have never heard anybody say more than 20 hours. No, nobody who works in a white collar setting. Now, if you're, you know, doing lattes at Starbucks all day, it's a different context, but you still have 128 hours a week of your life. And everything you're doing with those hours is your choice, like all the outings with the kids at night and the things you take on. But let's get back to the work week, 10 to 12 hours. Let's say it's 20 hours, which is on the super high side from everybody, the thousands of leaders I've talked to. You know what that gives you? That gives you control over 88% of your hours in a week, which is insane. Like, And what I tend to do as a human is I tend to focus on what I can't control. I can't control traffic, so I get upset in traffic. I can, I can control my attitude, but don't ask me to control my attitude about traffic. And so I would start there. The second thing I would do, I've learned a lot of this from you and from our mutual friend, Clay Scroggins, who you've had on the podcast before, but express desires, not demands. I think I took that from you, Andy. Right. So don't go into your boss and go, I can't do the meeting at nine o'clock on Tuesday. Just say, Hey, Andy, I was reading this book and, you know, mornings are really, really hard for me. I'm just wondering because I want to perform well and I want to deliver on the organization's goals. Would it be possible to move this meeting? And maybe your boss says no. Well, then your boss is at least aware that, okay, Carrie really struggles with mornings and he's going to be a a little bit of a laggard. Uh, At least he might show up on time, but he might not be all there. The third thing I would say, and I think I got this from Clay, is be ridiculously good at what you do. If you're really good at what you do, if you're performing, if you're delivering results and you go in and you express desires, not demands, then I think your boss is going to say, it's almost like Tim Ferriss talked about this in the four-hour work week. If you can show a proposal like Andy... I'm going to produce better messages on the weekend. I think we can grow this location by 10% over the next year. Um, I I want to see my team more engaged at work. We did a Gallup survey and only 68% are engaged. I want to move that to 80%. In order to do that, I need to make these two or three changes to my calendar. Are you open to that, Andy? Like, how does that feel to you as a boss? If that's the proposal and the thing I would add is, let me try this for three months. Yes. And then in three months... Let's evaluate. Now, I ask that you not evaluate me along the way. 
let's not talk about this for three months, okay? Because there may be an off week or the first two weeks don't work. So give me three months, no evaluation, then we sit down and evaluate. I mean, a reasonable manager or boss is going to be like, hey, if I'm going to, if you're going to be more productive, let's try. That's not my thing. I think everybody should be here at 7 a.m., you know, not 9 a.m. But hey, if that's, if that's your deal and you've made the proposal and you give me a time frame and you have anchored it to, we are going to have another meeting. Now, I don't feel the pressure to monitor this and make comments all along the way. That's not even helpful. We're just going to let it run evaluate at the end. You know, this actually mirrors a a famous story from the Old Testament when Daniel went to the king's steward and said, hey, this food you're feeding everybody else, um, I would like to not eat that food because it offends me religiously. So I have an idea. I'm going to eat some different food for this period of time, and then you evaluate my health. And if I'm in decline, you know, I'm not up to par, then hey, we'll do something else. And so I, I think that's not only reasonable, I mean, that's probably the way forward for a lot of folks listening who don't feel like they have, you know, they don't have control. They can't just decide when to do things and when not to do things. So I think that's a great response. The other thing I would say to Andy is let's say you have the unreasonable boss and there are unreasonable bosses. What? You're still probably left over with 88% of your week that you can do something with. You choose when to go to bed. You choose how long to sleep. You choose what activities to say yes to. You choose um, how many nights out you're going to be uh, every week. You choose all of that. And I think we default to, well, the kids have got, like, you know, you've raised kids. I've raised kids. My wife, Tony, and I, we made a decision, even though we only had two kids, they were all going to do one sport and one music lesson. And that was all we felt we could handle. I was trying to lead a church at the time, and she was working at a hospital And, you know, that was all we could handle. And those are choices you have. Or I'm going to put a date night on the calendar. We still do that every Friday night. Those are choices you have. And you have control over that. But we think we don't. And we can get into, if you want to, people hijacking our priorities. Because you're like, Carrie, you haven't looked at my phone. I've got like 1,700 unreturned texts and emails of people who want me to do this and want me to do that. And yeah, this is what will hijack your priorities. That is. Yeah. So actually, I wrote that down because you talk about this. What is the relationship between trying to control what we can to stay in our green zone with our priorities and all of the, these things that come in? And, uh, you know, that's the perfect term. It's people who hijack. Because if somebody wants time in my green zone, mm-hmm. that's just a no, unless it's an emergency. Right. When my kids were super little, um, I just decided I was going to be home at 430 um, mm-hmm. You know, we had two in diapers, three in diapers for a minute. My standard answer and my assistant's standard answer is Andy cannot meet you at four. He can't meet you at five. He can't meet you after work. He'll meet you at 530 a.m. He is available mm-hmm. at 530 a.m. If you want him, he's not saying no. But, you know, I had to control the time. Otherwise, people would hijack my priority. So, and I'm sure you've had this experience. There were mornings, not many, where I would have three breakfasts. Now, there were many mornings I had two because people needed to meet, and I'll be there as early as you want me to be there. But I won't meet you at 4. I won't meet you at 4.30. I can't meet you after work. So, again, it wasn't a no, but I knew where my red zone was. I knew where I needed to be in terms of my family's red zone because Sandra's red zone was 4 o'clock. She was tired. She was worn out. So Mm. that was kind of part of my strategy. I think it's a brilliant strategy, Andy. And I've had to develop a similar thing. I used to do breakfast meetings all the time. And then as I stumbled on this material and came on the other side of burnout, I realized, wait, 
I can do a lunch meeting or a coffee in my yellow zone, but I know if I don't get that message written, if I don't get that blog post done, if I don't get that, you know, strategy session finished in my green zone, which in my case is 7 to 11 a.m., like, you know how breakfast meetings work unless you're super efficient. You meet them at the restaurant at 7 a.m. and it goes till 8.30. It was supposed to be an hour, but it's an hour and a half. And then you drop by Starbucks on the way back to the office. Then you get into the office and Diane wants to talk to you, and Sarah wants to talk to you, and Susie wants to talk to you. 10:30. It's 10.30, and you're tired. You already did a day. Yeah, yeah. And that's how other people hijack your priorities, because this is all theory. So here's, here's, here's a, a, a reality I had to come to terms with. And it's not a bad thing. It's just a true thing. Nobody will ever ask you to accomplish your top priorities. They will only ever ask you to accomplish theirs. So... Every email you get, every text you get, every knock on the door is someone saying, Andy, Andy, I'd love you to be a guest on my podcast, you know, or Andy, hey, can you do this event? We got a leadership conference. Hey, Andy, can you, you know, attend my son's wedding and officiate there? It's like, that is the life of a leader. And uh, one of the things that really helped me, two things actually, is learning the art of saying no. And to be honest with you, Andy, we've known each other for a long, long time. You've really taught me so much in this department. And I remember one of the first times I sat in a smaller venue with you and you were talking and you had a million demands on your time and your kids were still at home. And you had one guy, you were using this as an example of somebody who wanted to meet with you. And uh, you just said, no, I, I can't meet with you. And your answer was something like this. You're like, if I met with you, you wouldn't love the church that it created and you wouldn't even want to go to that church anymore. So I can't meet with you and I'll never meet with you. Do you remember that? Yes, it was actually a, a woman. She came up after service. Okay. And she just insisted, I need to meet with you. I said, we can help you. Our church can help you, but I can't help you. I, it's got to be you. It's got to be you. It's got to be you. And, and she just would not give it up. And and she, and again, when people ask these questions, they're thinking, well, what about Thursday at three? What about Thursday at four? And then there was, surely there's a time. And I was trying to say categorically, I can't meet with you. So finally I said, here's the problem. If I met with you, you wouldn't want to attend this church. If I met with you, you wouldn't even want to meet with me. And of course that she just looked at me and I thought, I can't explain it any further, but to your point, if I said yes to all those requests, it affects the organization. Eventually, the people <laughs> who think they have to meet with me won't even be around because the organization suffers. So, yes, I I remember that conversation. Well, clearly, I have not forgotten that, Andy. That was about 15 <laughs> years ago, and it made a big impact. What I think my exact quote was now, the reason I can't meet with you is the reason you love our church. That's what it was. The reason I can't meet with you is the reason you love our church. That's what it was. That's a great answer. If you're leading a staff of more than half a dozen, or you're leading an organization with more than 50 people somehow associated with your organization, which is 90% of the people who are listening to this podcast, you're in the same shoes that Andy's in that I'm in. I mean, when you got leaders accessing my content a million and a half times, two million times a month, like you wouldn't believe the email we get, Andy. It's crazy. And everybody can speak at this. Can you do this? And it's a privilege. But if I did that, I wouldn't be able to do my leadership podcast. I wouldn't be able to finish a book. I wouldn't be able to lead my team. I wouldn't, I'm sure, be married, you know, or at least happily married. Like I've got a life I need to live as well. And so learning how to say no nicely. So I'll bring my Canadian into this. It's like, thank them for, hey, thank you so much for thinking of me. I'd love to speak at your event. However, and then a clear no, 
uh, given to, even if you have the space open, like there are many times where I'll be invited to do an event and I look at it, it's November 22nd and I'm actually home, but I realize I've got a, you know, this going on and a book deadline and I got this going on and I'm, I'm out on the road twice that month. So even the calendar is open, it's a wiser thing to say no. So in light of my current commitments, I am going to say no, or unfortunately I have to decline Thank you so much for thinking me. If you can redirect, do it, you know, so-and-so would be happy to help you or whatever. Uh, And people respect that. And scarcity actually creates value, right? When you're not available, your time and your influence becomes more available. The other thing I would say is categorical decision-making really, really helps. It's kind of like the, you know, Steve Jobs and Mark Zuckerberg do it where they wear the same clothes every day. It's just, you go into their closet, it's like a hundred black turtlenecks or something like that and khaki pants. What is that? That's decision fatigue. It's like, I don't have to think about what to eat for breakfast. I don't have to think about what to wear. They made a categorical decision. So one thing you can do to free that up, I had to do this just, I'm pulling into my pastoral background, but I decided, because our church, it's not as large as North Point, but I bet you there's four to 5,000 people who call our church home. I just decided years ago when I was still leading it, I'm not doing weddings. I just, I'll make exceptions. If you're related to me or you're my assistant, I'll do your wedding. And they're like, well, that's not fair. It's like, well, if you want to be my assistant and you decide to get married, then I'll do your wedding, right? So uh, I'd stop breakfast meetings for the large part that it was interrupting my green zone and I switched them to coffees or afternoon meetings. Um, I only do so many speaking engagements a month. Um, I had someone on my team when she was a young mom, just parenting, you know, first days of being a mom a few years ago, she got invited to all those network marketing events where they're selling, I don't know, Tupperware or scented candles or whatever. And she just said, I can't go there. I don't have the budget. So she would reply to her friends and just say, "Uh, listen, I'm happy to get together for coffee. I don't go to events like that. Nothing personal, but I just, that's something I don't do. And we never give ourselves permission to say no to whole categories of our lives. And our, our rude introduction to that, Andy, and a tragic one was COVID. I thought I had to travel less. And then all of a sudden, a global pandemic made that decision for me. So it was 16 months until I got on a plane again. And that sort of recalibrated my life. Burnout will do that to you too. Your your whole body resets, right? It's the classic CEO who has a heart attack and goes, huh, better not eat as many French fries, I guess. Or, you know, maybe I should start running. Or, uh, you know, you, you go through a season of burnout. And that's where I found the Thrive Cycle and calendar my life to it. But yeah, we had permission to say no. And healthy people will respect you for it. Well, Sandra and I, early on when our kids were little, had what we called the no for now, but not forever list. Mm. No for now, but not forever. Here are categories. To your point, we pick categories and we just said no to those categories. It was no for now because we're in a season with little kids, but not forever. These aren't bad things. We'll do those later. No for now, but not forever. As we wrap up, anything you'd like to close with? Any topic we just we didn't touch on that you feel like is central to this that we skipped over? I would suggest stop hijacking yourself because you can do everything we've talked about. You can have it all set up. It's a beautiful theory. So many of us are uncomfortable with quiet. You can get into a quiet environment for your green zone. You can clear your calendar. You can say, okay, I'm going to write that chapter. I'm going to launch that podcast. I'm going to do the offsite. Next thing you know, you're scrolling Instagram, you're responding to 15 text messages that came in. You've heard it a million times that I would say, shut off all notifications on all of your devices, get comfortable with silence. That is where your creative juices will flow. You'll also find as you get into your green zone, 
that um, sitting at the computer and trying to produce what you're trying to produce isn't always the best strategy. So for me, as a content creator, uh, often I'll get on my bike during my green zone and I'll do a 45-minute or one-hour ride. Like even today, I was out there before our interview, Andy, and um, I, I just have this like voice dictation in my AirPods and I got like five new ideas for things I wanted to write about in the next month. And I just kind of dictated them into my phone and away I go because that the, the, the science, the brain science we're learning actually says that that's often where our creativity comes from. You go for a walk around the woods, you walk around the office, you uh, go sit on a park bench and look at the blue sky and suddenly it hits you. So that is a very good use of your green zone. But what that takes is disciplined, undistracted thought. And you're going to have to get really comfortable with silence. As an introvert, you probably don't struggle with that. I'm increasingly an introvert. But extroverts, that silence will be so uncomfortable. But that's becoming at peace with yourself. And it's the way people used to live. So stop distracting yourself because that's a significant issue. Leverage that green zone. Um, Do what you're best at when you're at your best. You'll start living in a way today that will help you thrive tomorrow. And I think that will reshape everything. It has for me. I feel way more alive at 56 than I did at 36. And I'm accomplishing, like, I can't I can't even imagine. If you showed 36-year-old me a picture of my life now, I'd be like, I think you got the wrong guy. Uh, I was managing a fraction of what I had, running haggard, stuck in the stress spiral. And now I'm like, you know, I went for a bike ride today. I'm going for a boat ride after this interview. Like boat ride? You know, a boat ride. Oh. Yeah, going to go out on the lake, Andy. You have time for that and to do the things that are most important. And uh, you really do have the time. You just have to admit you didn't make it. Wow. Well, the book is At Your Best, At Your Best, How to Get Time, Energy, and Priorities Working in Your Favor by our friend, Carrie Newhoff. Carrie, this has been fantastic. Honestly, a little bit convicting, a little bit convicting, um, but super helpful. Well, Andy, thank you so much for uh, being my guest interviewer today on my podcast And if you haven't yet, grab yourself a copy of my newest book, At Your Best Releases Today. So if you really want to know, why would you get the book? Let me ask you a question. Take an honest look at the pace that you're currently living at. Could you do this forever? Would you want to? And for most people, the answer is no. If you tell yourself it's a busy season, like I said to Andy, if it doesn't have an ending, it's not your season. It's your life. And what I share in At Your Best and in the Masterclass, which you can get for free, is all the strategies I've used for the last 15 years that have helped me get time, energy, and priorities working for me, not against me. I want to see you live in a way today that will help you thrive tomorrow. So go to atyourbesttoday.com, order it, and get free access to all the bonuses, including this masterclass we sunk so much into. And uh, well, we'll catch you next episode. It's sort of back to normal. We are still going to focus on productivity Uh, and I'll do some more Ask Me Anything About Productivities, but I'm super excited to have Erin Meyer. She co-authored with Reed Hastings a book about Netflix called No Rules Rules, and when I read it, could not put it down. It ran my whole team through it, and uh, well, here's an excerpt. The vacation policy is there. There is no vacation policy, Hmm. and of course, um, I had the same concerns when I heard this that your listeners did. One of two concerns, right? The first concern is you think the first the first one everyone thinks, oh my gosh, that's horrible. <laughs> oh, that's horrible because no one will take any vacation at all. 
Right. Right. Um, so that's the first one that people worry about. And the second one that people think is, is, oh my gosh, that's horrible for my organization because people will go on vacation all the time. So that's next time on the podcast. It is such a joy to be able to come alongside you, try to give you the resources that I really hope will help you thrive in life and leadership. Thanks for celebrating this really special day. I hope it makes a huge difference in your life and in your family. Because here's what I've learned. If you figure out how to lead better at work, you will lead better at home. You will come home with something in the tank. That's what At Your Best is all about. And uh, you can go to atyourbesttoday.com, check out all the bonuses that we've got for you, and we'll catch you next time. I hope our time together today has helped you thrive in life and leadership. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.